0: Welcome to the Goldmine Podcast. This is a show where I teach you everything I know about creating your life with purpose, health, and soul. And I believe that we do that through holistic self-expression. If you're ready to finally step into your own personal power and create the life you want, you've come to the right place. Get ready to dive into personal development through science, spirituality, leading-edge health findings, and learning through ancient and modern wisdom and other people just like you, because what I hope you'll find is that it's about us all. Thank you for joining me on my journey, and I'm leaving you with an invite to stay curious. So I have a quote for you guys that I found in an article that I will put in the show notes, and it says, the laughter is a trait we share with our nearest cousins, the gray apes. This, I guess it's not so much as a quote as it is a theory based off of fact. Um, this means that it was more than likely an ancient invention that has been retained over millennia. As with most things that evolution preserves, it must be useful. One odd but insightful study involved tickling a variety of ape species and human infants. The researchers then compared the sounds of laughter that were generated. Interestingly, species more closely related to ourselves, such as bonobos and chimpanzees, had more similar acoustic data to humans when compared with our more distant relatives as gorillas and orangutans. So, as the authors explain, their data matches the well-established genetic relationships of great apes and humans. And this is really cool. The article says as a soci- as social animals go, humans congregate in fairly large groups. One theory has it one theory has it that laughter along with speech helps us to bond more e- efficiently. Rather than having to physically groom each other in our tribe, we could stand within earshot and make each other laugh. Bonds could be built at a distance and with multiple players. While well, this theory holds water or not will be difficult to prove, but there is no question that laughing brings people closer together. Laughter helps to build relationships, and, then, and when living in a group on the savannah, bonding successfully can be the difference between life and death. So I'm going to introduce our speaker, and if you're anywhere online, I'm sure you know what a meme is. And before I knew who Chris was, I didn't even think that there were people dedicated to this. And then I kept seeing this hilarious memes by someone with the handle Operation Underscore Maksha, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I thought, what the fuck? Who is this guy, and where is he getting all these great ideas? Not only are his memes funny, but they're very specifically funny to anybody working, with, working deep with their unconscious behaviors. Deep end personal development, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I, without hesitation, started following him. And then it turned out we knew a few people in common. And we've started connecting little by little. And so I knew when I came to L.A., I wanted to interview him. And like most people, he has a story. And after finding his dad dead at six years old, he went through a 20-year process that taught him the expansive process of how to actually digest Mm -hmm. his emotions and that he is not his thoughts. He tells me that the biggest thing he learned out of that experience is loving that which you hate transforms it. Chris brings out the hero in you. More than a meme maker, he's a mentor and coach who believes that mental health is a revolutionary act. Hi.
2: I'm so glad you did the opening. Are you that glad? was way better than anything I would have said. That was awesome, yeah. <laughs>
0: Good. Um, so, I'd like to start off with the laughter. Okay. Because I think that's what we talked about before.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, what's your take on that? I'm going to... Set this computer
2: down. Uh, Laughter was my, it was actually a coping mechanism when I was a kid. Um, I was, like you said, my dad died when I was young and my mom and my brother would fight all the time. And so it's like, if I can make them laugh, then there was harmony in the household. And so it became my job to make everyone laugh. And now as I'm older and I'm learning how to deal with unconscious emotions and stuff, and I'm realizing how much people try to avoid that stuff. I try to I aim with the memes. One of my main aims is to make people laugh about stuff that they normally wouldn't even think about. And cuz it just heals, it helps.
0: So, if anybody is out there who doesn't know what a meme is.
2: Oh Jesus. Okay, uh, a meme is essentially, I mean, it could be anything. It's I mean, it's it derives from memetics, which is essentially just a, a mind virus. Anything that gets passed along through a collection of people is essentially a meme. And so the ones I make are just these stupid little jokes about like what it's like to be a person who's growing and i'm highly influenced by punk rock and nerd culture and that's where a lot of stuff comes from because memes are just made by internet dorks and that's largely what i am
0: <laughs> yeah so he just takes like other people's pictures and makes them hilarious with words <laughs> and um yeah a lot can go into a short little picture so i think humor is really interesting because if you're anywhere in the personal development spiritual development community conscious community like whatever sometimes people take it really seriously and that the laughing some people will get triggered by people laughing and i heard something recently of recently meaning within the last year of somebody talking about how laughter actually is another way that we get to see our limiting beliefs or our triggers without actually like going into the depths of hell Mm -hmm. can you talk into that at all
2: yeah that was actually one of the things i really liked about memes in the first place that they're essentially a direct tap into the collective unconscious it's a way for people to validate things that no one else knows that like that everyone experiences that's one of the main things about a meme is they're really funny if they're universal or if it's something that everybody experiences but nobody knows that everyone else experiences them and then suddenly you have a whole community laughing at some shit that you've never told anyone before it's like that's that's a really good meme and so my aim is like you said it's like if I can get people to laugh about this stuff And not only are they laughing about it, but they're laughing at it in the context of I'm not alone. And so that means that they can talk about it. And that means that they feel less alone. That means, like, they're more willing to face these things and accept these things. And that's what I really love about memes. But I saw a lot of people kind of misusing it and using memes to joke about, like, apathy and depression and anxiety and, like, but not in a helpful way. Mm -hmm. Of just kind of, like, normalizing these things, which is cool, but not...
0: I saw, um, I think it was Nathaniel, and just yesterday I think he posted a meme. It was just a short quote and said, "Oh, you're 30. Get used to waking up feeling like mm-hmm. shit," or something along those lines. And it's like, no, this is not how. This is just an excuse for you to not take care of your body because mm-hmm. this isn't how it's actually supposed to go. And so I've seen, I've seen that side. Just like anything, it can be used in its own ineffective ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I found comedy, like comedy shows, comedy, like Netflix comedy shows, Mm -hmm. after I got into like diving into my self-expansion, I found that the Netflix comedy shows, they always had like a deeper, Mm -hmm. I didn't see that when I was younger, it was, it was, it was just funny, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't get, I laughed, but I didn't like really listen. And there's always a message in all yeah. of the comedy, and that that's really cool to me.
2: Yeah, and there's this old thing that says that the jester was the only person allowed to speak truth to the king without getting his head cut off. Because he was joking. And nobody took the fool seriously. So yeah. he could say whatever he wanted. He could tell the king real shit, and nothing would happen to him, because he's just the fool. And so it's like, laughter is a very mm-hmm. subversive way to get important points across. Yeah, and I mean, George Carlin is a great example of that. You know, he he just always slid a bunch of really important cultural truths in a way that made you laugh at it.
0: Um, my family always laughed and I laugh at things that other people wouldn't laugh at. (laughs) And, um, people always, not always and not all people, Mm -hmm. but a good majority of majority of people wouldn't understand why I would just like want, like uh, be happy all the time. It Mm -hmm. was like, things are just funny.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, So could you talk about what's most exciting for you right now, just in general?
2: Most exciting thing right now is honestly finding out that there's a huge audience for this stuff. (laughs) Like, that's ridiculous to me, you know, because, like, I'm really good at helping people. And I I really like my content. And the people that listen to it or, like, my videos or anything like that always tell me how valuable it is. But I never gained traction until I started making these fucking memes. And so it's, like, suddenly, like, the amount of people that are listening to me is, like, going way, way up, and I'm, all I'm doing is making jokes and talking about all the stuff that I'm interested in, like, video games and anime and punk rock, but, like, I'm, because those are just my influences, and so it's, like, to know that I can talk about all these different things in a way that actually helps people, and people love it, and then they actually become my clients, it's, like, it doesn't get any better than that.
0: So the, and obviously, whoever's listening knows this, but... Just to connect something here, the name of the podcast is Gold Mind Podcast, mm-hmm. and then How to Create Your Life, and something that really, so I strive to bring people on here that are creating their life, and something that I take on, and something that I've learned with my experience is that the more that we are self-expressed, and like actually who we are, the more those people will show up for us, and mm-hmm. so I feel like that humor and the memes is that way that you do that, no?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I'm actually creating what I wish was already there, you know, because it's like I looked around and I saw people making, you know, shitty memes that actually like, they make you laugh, but in a way that later makes you feel worse about your life. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to flip that around because it's like everybody's everybody loves them. Everybody laughs at them. Everybody shares them. They're a big part of everybody's life. So it's like I'm going to make the ones that make me laugh. And this was at a time that I wasn't even sure I was going to keep coaching. I just wanted to make stuff that I thought was funny Mm -hmm. and other people kept liking it. And I was like, what the fuck? That's cool. (laughs) And then, yeah, as I started integrating more of my influences, stuff that I never thought had any place in the transformation world, you know, like there's no nerds, there's no punks, there is no people that are into the stuff I'm into. Nobody looks like me. Nobody talks like me. Like Like,
0: that's what you thought?
2: That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I still look around and I don't see anyone even close to like me, but it's like. I thought that because there was no one like me, that I didn't have a place. And so I was like, you know what, fuck that. I'm going to make my place. Even if it's completely separated, I wanted to make my own place. And so that's what I did.
0: Could you... So in the introduction, there was something in there that we talked about beforehand, which was... uh... What the fuck was that? just kidding. So in the introduction... We talked about how you had the realization that you are not your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So that is something that is so, it's so surprising to me how so many people don't have that conversation, even with their children, with their friends, like mm-hmm. with themselves. They just don't hear it enough. So anything you want to say around that, around your journey, around an around easy way to explain it, like just mm. let them have it.
2: Yeah. Um, you're the thing that's aware of your thoughts. Like that's as simple as I can possibly make it. It's like I'm not the thoughts... I'm the thing that judges myself based on my thoughts. Hmm. I'm the thing that chooses what to do with my thoughts. It's like all this drama is happening. And if I'm the one creating the drama, how can I be the one also who's the recipient of it as well? You know, it's like to me, there's two different things. So it's like self-love. It's like you're the one giving love and you're also the one receiving it. So there's two things present. Mm -hmm. And the more I dove into that idea, it's like there are so many different versions of me. It's like there's the version of me that loves connecting with people. There's the version of me that hates connecting with people. And there's everything in between. And so it's like the idea that I'm all of those or that all of them are me. It's to to try and even conceptualize that makes my head hurt. So it's just like, no, like those are just things I have to deal with. That's my internal family to take care of.
0: What was the biggest thought that you had identified with that you finally had a breakthrough and you thought, holy shit, this isn't
2: me uh my anger anger was the really big thing for me because you know my dad died when I was young and I got really fucking angry because nobody had any explanations for me I was raised by Jehovah's Witnesses and I had all these questions that everybody would always just pull out a bible and I'd be like that's not an answer that's like a book like I, I need you to talk to me and nobody could do it nobody would do it and so I got really really mad And, you know, rebelled and decided to make my own way. And I remember, like, I got kicked kicked out of my house when I was 16. Mm. And lived out of my car when I was graduating high school. And I just got really mad and wanted to do things on my own. And eventually that anger came and kicked me in the ass. And I thought it was going to turn me into this, like, monster. You know, I started having these, like, scary, violent thoughts that I didn't understand. And so um, I was telling you earlier that, like, I legitimately thought I had a a moral obligation to end my life at some point. Mm. And so the first thing I had to learn was that the anger, it wasn't me. All these thoughts, they weren't me. They were a result of how I was treating that part of myself.
0: The angry part.
2: Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're angry because you're not standing up for yourself and people are taking advantage of you. You're, you're not getting what you want. You're not taking care of yourself. It's like, yeah, you should be angry that people are walking all over you. That makes sense to be angry. But when you don't take good care of that part of yourself that's anger angry it gets more angry and it turns sour and it turns into a demon and that demon will eventually attempt to destroy you and so that was the biggest thing of realizing that this demon that was in my head wasn't me it was a separate thing that was really unhealthy because i hadn't been taking good care of it
0: so you could say that you hadn't you had the anger or whatever whatever those emotions are that we have they become Ineffective
2: mm-hmm.
0: when they're not digested, when they're not looked at, mm-hmm. when they're not loved.
2: Yeah, and for me, it's like because I had such a very real and visceral experience of just how bad they can be. To me, it's very real. It's like do or die. Like, like they are. They're not like not literally demons, but like yeah. for all intents and purposes, they are. Yeah. And so I treat it with like it's like yeah. This is one of the things I'm, I make jokes about stuff because I like joking. But certain stuff like this is deathly serious to me. I, I try to keep that balance. <laughs>
0: it is It is deathly though, because yeah. I, on my story, I don't think you know much about it. No. Um, not digesting my emotions properly, like with the lens of, of love and acceptance, or <clears throat> not even just not even looking at them, that caused a ease in my body hmm. that caused a disease in my body hmm. that almost killed me. Because I didn't look at, look at these thoughts based off of my past experiences that made me define myself some type of way. And, like, it, they are deathly. And that's mm-hmm. not... I don't want my listeners, I don't want anybody to, like, take that from a place... Take that as something... I don't want to speak into fear here. Sure. I want to speak into the, the possibility of our potential. Mm-hmm. Which is to thrive and which is to see all parts of us mm-hmm. as, as unique and as active and as, like, the anger. If the anger did not exist or the fear did not exist or the anxiety did not exist, neither would the joy and mm-hmm. the happiness and all those other high-level emotions. Mm-hmm. And so it's like we get to be thankful for that because that is the human experience.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so if you could, so you kind of had this start of your awakening at 26, yeah?
2: Um, this part of it, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, if you could tell your... How old are you now? 32. If you could tell yourself something 10 years ago, what would it be?
2: Just be patient. You know, like, you're gonna get through it. Because that's, that's one of the other things is, you know, like, I've... It's taken me a long time to get my footing in being a coach. Not just because I didn't feel like I had a place, but also because I really take my time when it comes to my growth. I am of the belief that your internal world creates your external world. And so I make sure that my internal world is aligned first. And then I take, I automate my unconscious system so that it just does the work for me. I question myself a lot during that.
0: Um, have you read or listened to Biology of Belief? Uh, no. So it's Bruce Lipton?
1: Are you familiar? Yeah.
0: Um, So he, I just am finishing it on an audiobook, and he talks about the fundamental level of cells, and he explains how a cell can be programmed and become Mm. the movement can become unconscious Mm -hmm. based on our perceptions of our world, and what you just said reminds me like with time and this has been my experience too like with time when we take the actions over the thoughts we make new thoughts and actions subconscious Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right and then we don't even have to think anymore so and the process could be instant Mm -hmm. or the process could take five years Mm -hmm. and it's so important it's so important to realize that there is a process and that like you decide, if you decide you want to be healthy today and you make an unhealthy decision in a week and a half, you're not an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like you're not doomed to failure. That's just, that's just something that you get to then, you're aware of it and that's great. So you have choice for the next time.
2: Mm-hmm. And I love failure personally. Failure, rejection, all those things. Like I love them. They, they fuel me. All the things that people are most afraid of or most hate or most want to enjoy if you can learn to love all of them, you become unstoppable in this very rare kind of way that that most people will never get access to because they simply don't know to look there. No, to failure? To, to love your failure, to love your being rejected, to love all the worst parts of your personality, to love all the worst parts of other people's personalities, like mm-hmm. to make conscious effort to have love not just include the good things. Right. But to me, that's what I think really separates, like, a good life from a great life.
0: Again, like, the love wouldn't be there if the other stuff wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Like, we wouldn't know what it is. and mm-hmm. We wouldn't have experienced it. And, oh, the image that always comes to me is a little baby mm-hmm. learning to walk. Mm-hmm. And, like, they all look so different. Some of them are falling. Some of them are crying. The interesting thing, actually, I noticed, because I use this example a lot, is... They, first of all, they all fall. They all fucking fall. And you're like, no, I don't think walking's for them. Mm-hmm. Like, that never is said. I don't think
2: she's a walker. Yeah, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I noticed, the more I talked about this example, that the babies that laugh through the process, mm. are, the process is quicker. Really? And then mostly what I noticed is the babies. And when I, actually, I'm completely wrong.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> who are you? Well, that's good to know. So, no, no. <laughs> about what?
0: Um, the babies. So, there's laughing babies and there's angry babies, right? Sure.
2: <laughs> I believe that. I think you're right about that so far.
0: This seems
2: objectionably true.
0: Okay, so there's babies learning to walk. There's laughing babies and there's crying babies. Mm-hmm. They all walk, right? Mm-hmm. So, do you want to be the laughing baby, or the crying baby? I'm all
2: about the laughing baby, right? Why and that's why angry? Buddha laughs, huh? And that's why Buddha laughs.
0: Oh, see, I don't know. I keep learning things about Buddha.
2: Oh yeah, though there's a diff- there's a million different versions of him. Like you can there's like all these different versions. Some are female, some are male, some are fat, some are skinny, some are happy, some are sad, some love pickles. And there was, yeah, there's this, like, old parable about the pickle sage. It was one of my favorite stories, actually.
0: It instantly reminded me... Do you watch Rick and Morty? Hell yeah, I It know. instantly reminds me of Pickle Rick. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's, like, the inverse of that. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, like, the reason he laughs is to be a part of that joy and that exuberance. And the laughing Buddha always has the full belly. Yeah. To represent just fullness of life and the richness of life. And laughter is a huge part of that.
0: Okay. So, I... Studied and I talked to you about this the other day. Um, I want to keep this well, it'll be whatever it is. So, Mm -hmm. um, you grew up Jehovah's Witness, yes, you did. And I studied Jehovah's Witness for 10 Mm -hmm. years. It Mm -hmm. wasn't very, it wasn't super in depth, but it was every week. And I learned just like you did to like look to the Bible for answers. Mm -hmm. And then when I found out all these other things and all these other texts and all these ancient wisdom. Then suddenly I didn't know where to go,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's like okay, well, I, and that was really sad for me because I used to feel like I had a place to go and find these answers, mm. even if I had to like figure it out. Sure, there was still like a reference point for me to look at,
2: some solidity to lean on. Yeah, yeah,
0: and uh, then that went away. And then what it all boils down to for me, what it came back to, and I'm I'm pretty confident this is the same for you, is like we our body knows, like we already mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. right? And so do you find now with expansion and like personal development and even with the the humor or where, wherever path you're on that you can tap into the body mm-hmm. to understand the mind yeah rather than having to work on the mind first
2: for sure that's that's why my jokes are so funny is because like I'm in here all the time and I'm constantly paying attention to what's happening in my body and I have a, a, a deeply I like. I pride myself on my relationship to my my internal experience. Like, if there's one thing I'm an expert at, it's understanding what's happening under the surface. That's that's my real gift, and that's why my jokes land for people. Is because it's like when you look on the deeper level, it's all the same. It's all fundamental. It's all mm-hmm. universal. All of us run exactly the same. We just happen to be doing it differently.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, yeah, like I really tune into. My body, Like, actually, the meme I'm about to release today is, like, kind of making fun of myself uh, because uh, I do this really weird exercise that I've never seen anyone else do that I'm actually kind of self-conscious about. Um, I especially get nervous about it when, um, when I have girlfriends that, like, stay the night or anything like that because when I meditate, I am, like, moving and, like, stretching and, like, wiggling around like a worm and, like, contorting my body into all these weird things because a friend or someone told me when I was really going through a hard time was like, if you feel like curling up in a ball, curl up in a ball, Hmm. like do it, let your body tell you how it needs to express whatever you're needing to express. And so it's like, I'll curl up into balls. I'll like stretch myself out. I'll contort my face into these stupid faces. And like, it it looks like I'm possessed by something. I'm super embarrassed to do this in front of people, but it's the most impactful thing I've ever done. So it's like. It's kind of like yoga, but just really ugly yoga.
0: It's just like you, like the art of like allowing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And like feeling into where does the energy want to go, and like how do I need to move my body in order in order to let it go there, and like all these different things. And so it's, I guess, like ugly yoga is what I'm gonna call it from now on. I
0: like that. Yeah, I'm
2: gonna call it ugly yoga.
0: Um, I so something that I teach my students, something that I live by, something that I just love is understanding that each emotion so we have like these basic basic vanilla emotions like happy sad mad and then underneath those are going to be more more projected more specific so underneath happy is going to be like joy ecstasy all of these other things underneath mad is going to be like anger resentment Mm -hmm. and then so on and each emotion this was like huge when i figured it out was that each emotion feels different In the body. Mm -hmm. Because each emotion like scientifically holds a certain frequency and vibration. And so when Mm -hmm. I can find what a certain emotion feels like in my body, and now I can use that as a reference point, Mm -hmm. I can find what the preferred emotions feel like in my body and use Mm -hmm. that as a reference point. And then by calibration and understanding like breath work and breathing techniques and meditation or whatever works for the person. You can sort of calibrate your emotional experience. Mm-hmm. And so the body is just so amazing. And I didn't know, when I ended up getting really sick, I was like, no muscle, I lost a bunch of weight, I couldn't walk. And uh, my body was withered, and so was everything else. Like, my my mental capacity was gone, my emotional capacity. Like, all I had was my spiritual mind, right? Mm-hmm. And so then I went off of faith, but... Um, I think the conversation really gets to shift to the body rather than to the mind because the mind is, it, it's, it's, it's not tactile. Like it's not, um, mm-hmm. right. It's subjective. Would mm-hmm. that be the right word?
2: Mm-hmm. And plus it's just like you said, it's, it's this ethereal thing. There's no traction there. There's nothing to feel. There's no grounding in the earth from mm-hmm. the mind. The mind is where what you use to look at all this stuff and find everything mm-hmm. and put it all into place. But in place is on the earth. And I, you sounded like you were saying something, and I want to make sure you're talking about the same thing because it, it's fucking brilliant. This idea of being able to feel the, like, not-so-good emotions but also feel the positive emotions at the same time or, like, pull them in and have them balance each other out. Is that what you're talking about?
0: Um, like a harm, ha, harm, harmonious? Yeah, it
2: sounded, yeah, that's what it sounded like you were saying because that's a huge part of my practice.
0: So what I was saying um, was if I'm... If I'm feeling anxious,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, a lot of times, and maybe this isn't true for everybody, a lot of times that's going to be like in my chest and my throat area is going to feel tight. Um, I then, by practice, will understand, A, how that feels in my body. Is it tight? Is it hot? Is it painful? I'll understand how my body is contorting around that energy, and then I'll notice the anxiousness and then, by bringing in how I know my body responds to joy, mm-hmm. we'll sort of so it might that har, harmony might be what you're talking about. yeah I call it calibration. I
2: think it's the same process, but from different wording. Okay, and to me, to me, that's the integration of opposites, which I think is I think Carl Jung also said this that integration of all opposites is essentially the the highest goal that mankind can reach hmm. is if we once we've integrated all opposites, then we're essentially we're the bridge between heaven and earth embodied once we can do that because heaven and earth are different opposites. Yeah. And so if you can take like the lowest despair that you've ever known and let that be equally as valid as the highest joy you've ever known at the same time, they will balance each other out and you will eventually calibrate.
0: So using the despair as a reminder of the joy?
2: Kind of to a certain degree. Yeah. It's like when I feel despair, it's like I let myself really feel it and then I'll notice that if I'm leaning too far to either direction, then I'll be like, okay, remember there's highs also. And then I'll bring that high in and I'll let them both be valid at the same time. And I'll let myself experience both. And then my body actually, I stand up straighter. Um, my shoulders are more square and, and aligned. And I actually find it impacts my posture.
0: Yeah, that's good. I've not thought about it like that. and But it is, like you said, I'll let them both be valid. Mm-hmm. Like... Um, despair, and was it joy, it was what you said? Yeah, it can be um, anything, but yeah. It, 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 is, it is letting them both be. That's totally it, and I would have not thought about it like that, but it is like, okay, let me look at the despair and then remember that there's joy here and understand that both are here. Yeah, that's totally it. Mm-hmm. It's totally, I've not thought about it like that before, so that's cool. Um, yeah, I got
2: really into psychoanalysis and Western philosophy, and like they're all about that stuff.
0: It reminded me of... Something I didn't know is that, so, like, these old um, peace sign, like, these things that we see that the hippies use, like, the yin-yang, all of those things, are actually representative of, of moving pieces, right? right? So, mm. the yin-yang is, like, a toroidal field, which moves in and out of itself, so it's, it's like, this thing that looks like opposites, but it's really dynamic in, in this dance, mm-hmm. and understanding that and really seeing like, again like you cannot have one without the other. They don't hold up. It's like it's anything. It's it's yin yang. It's feminine and masculine. It's black and white and the whole fucking all the colors ever. Like, mm-hmm. It just doesn't, it's this weird opposite but one
2: Yeah, and I'm actually a big fan of saying because like it, the idea that you can't have one without the other, some part of me rejects that so I add on, you can't have one without the other without creating a catastrophic problem.
0: Totally. Without great Death, really. Exactly. Disease, whatever that looks or, like. Or
2: chaos. Yeah. Or some kind of imbalance in the system that would just ruin everything. Yeah. You
0: know? I, um... So one thing that dropped in I'd like to get your opinion on is another thing that I really enjoy and I really like working with people to do is take their history...
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And redefine it to give permission to their future.
1: Mm, cool.
0: Right? So um, I had this history of, like, my body was unhealthy. I've been on every side of a relationship. Um, like a typical t- bad family stuff. Like everybody's t- typical history in my, the way that I experienced it. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I am... Um, I can take that. I can define that, and I can be limited by that, or I can look back. Let me try to think of a, an actual story. Okay, so for example, um, boyfriends who were abusive. I can see that, and make up this meaning about it that I get abused, or that I don't stand up for myself, or that I. Can't be in a good relationship or I don't know how to love properly or like blah, 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 anything that shows up. When I used to say that and I used to just keep getting the same type of guy, you know, that story. Mm -hmm. And then or I could see that and I could redefine it because I don't want to be the person who who wants to be that person, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I can take that and I can redefine it and say like, okay, well, I was in these abusive relationships so right now i know what i don't want mm-hmm. and that's going to move me forward or right now i know i got taught how to stand up for myself
1: mm-hmm.
0: right so how in your life have you sort of reframed to not because it's not about forgetting it's not about letting go of stories i hate the the let go of story. it's it's a reframe yeah right i, I,
2: I don't I, I mean i'm <laughs> i don't know that people actually let go of stories right i don't think it's a thing Whenever anyone's ever told me to let something go, they meant repress it. And that's not my style. Yeah. So I don't. I think generally the idea of letting go is just shove that into the deepest, darkest corner you can find to where it'll, you'll think it's gone. Yeah. But it'll come back and, you know, bite you in your ass in 20 years. Yeah. You just let that go. So no, I don't like that. But as far as reframes, I'm, I'm actually kind of cautious about reframes because to me they can potentially be, they can turn into spiritual bypassing at some point. Yeah. And I worry about that because I was having this conversation with a friend who was like, you ever notice people just put sacred in front of anything and then they think they can do whatever they want? And it's like putting sacred in front of something doesn't get rid of the shadow. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. And so the thing I like to do instead, which is probably making things harder on myself than I need to be, if I'm being completely honest, is I like to face the worst things as they are and love them as they are. Instead of reframing them or anything like that, I just love them for being what they are. And eventually the value shows itself, but I don't consciously reframe things.
0: You don't think that adding love to it is a reframe?
2: I guess it is. I guess it is. You're
0: saying you don't consciously retell the story.
2: Yeah. I'm just like, here's what happened, here's what I got out of it, but my relationship to it is different. I'd rather change my relationship to something than the story that I tell myself about it. It seems more empowering to me.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I like the term relationship because it is that to me is a, a feeling, mm-hmm. right? That's the feeling I get when I think about the story.
2: Exactly. So what's your relationship to that feeling? Yeah. And that's more specifically that part of yourself. Yeah. Which is why, you know, I said earlier, I'm a, I'm a Reiki master, but I don't teach Reiki. I don't really even do Reiki. I don't even talk about it. Because um, this is actually, I found this out last night, this is the same reason that Freud stopped doing hypnosis on people, it was because... When you do things like hypnosis or Reiki or things like that, they're tremendously powerful and they move a lot of energy and they they get people through things. So in some circumstances, like for PTSD, I think it's totally fine to do that. But the thing, it robs you of the ability to form a relationship with the part of yourself that was having trouble in the first place. If you just get rid of the energy or just remove the block, it's like, what happened to that part of yourself? Do you know it better? Do you love it more?
0: So he was hypnotizing and take, like, blocking the memory?
2: No, he was hypnotizing people, and then they would have these big breakthroughs, and they would like their lives would be better. But he was like, "But, but they don't understand why they had the problem in the first place.
1: Oh. They don't
2: know the part of themselves that had anxiety. They don't know how to protect themselves against it in the future. They don't. They didn't understand the utility of their difficult emotional experience, so they're potentially doomed to repeat it."
0: So then, what's your take on? Um, do you know Maps,
2: the company? Or the, the psychedelic the psych-
0: science. Yeah. Um, there, so MAPS stands for Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, and I went to the psychedelic science conference in California two years ago, and mm-hmm. it was great. Um, and what they talk about it was a bunch of doctors, and they talk about psychedelic research for healing, and a lot of it is based around PTSD. Mm-hmm. And they specifically, right now in these test phases, are working with like war, like um, treatment-resistant but vets. And they're having like 85% success rate that only grows over the years.
2: In two sessions.
0: In two sessions, yeah. And so through some people, um, I was going to have, it's called MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. And MDMA is an active ingredient in um, ecstasy, right? I have never done ecstasy. So I have nothing to... I've just only been introduced to the power of psychedelics within the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and really only have used them in in a ceremony type. Like, I might have used them to have fun once. And uh, anyways, so I plan on doing this. And my ex-partner is going to do this, and we mm-hmm. want to do it around the same time because there's things to, to show up, and then eventually sure. maybe we'll do it together. But I'm curious what's different about about that because then what you're saying about the hypnosis.
1: Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I
0: know the process, like, um, so the process of the, the psychotherapy is they take, um, it opens up the amygdala.
2: I don't remember exactly.
0: It doesn't make you suppress, so sometimes, like, um, simple the simple way is it doesn't you're not suppressing and just having a um re re-trauma, re-trauma, re-traumatizing traumatizing experience when you talk about it right and so you're you're viewing the experience with love
2: mm-hmm.
0: how is that different because it seems like you're up for all up for that yeah for yeah. sure
2: i love that stuff i actually want to get into doing entheogenic therapy because i think that's the future of this stuff like, we could, if this actually gets past the stuff you're talking about, because I think it's actually higher than 87, I think it's in the 90s, mm. and so we could eradicate PTSD in one generation if this if this gets through. And PTSD is, fucks so many people that I know. So many good, loving people that work really hard on themselves just have PTSD, and it, it just stops them. Yeah. And so I, I really believe in that stuff. But the interesting thing about it is, you see, with, with Reiki, it's like you eventually have to process the stuff that comes out, and you're going to have to do that in whatever way. But with hypnosis, you never actually have to process the stuff afterwards, from what I can tell. But you if, don't...
0: There's no integration.
2: Yeah, exactly. And the integration is what's most important. Because the integration is where you understand what was happening in the first place. And that's where you build the relationships with all these different parts of yourself.
0: So I'd also like to add, for anybody listening that doesn't know about this, when when they do this MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, it's actually um, trained psychotherapist, and out of, like eight sessions they only do the mdma twice or something, something like, yeah I think something two along doses. the lines and most of that is integration so that's mm-hmm. a good point
2: <clears throat> and to me that's the big difference is like are you suddenly like so i had uh this one healer this i've, I've never met any healers this powerful before and she removed the experience of worthlessness from me since that day I've, I've never felt worthless ever i felt stupid and i felt all kinds of adjacent feelings but i've never felt useless or worthless i should say but I have no idea why the hell I ever felt useless. I have no idea what was happening there.
0: Oh, so there's no. Oh, I see.
2: And I want to know the reasons. because my thing is like, like with anger, for instance, I, my repressed anger got worse and worse and worse because I was getting angry at the fact that people were taking advantage of me. My values and my boundaries were being violated constantly.
0: And you were letting them and you, I was you letting see them. that you were letting them. Okay.
2: And so it's like, I want to know why my emotions are acting the way they are. I want to understand the underlying reason because it's my belief that every emotion you have has a reason and a purpose. And if you can understand it, you can integrate that reason into your life and you become a more whole person. And so I'm not personally, unless it's in the case of PTSD or someone who's like really suffering and this type of stuff would take way too long and, and it's just they're debilitated. Like it, it always has its place. But for people that just want to learn and grow and get the richest experience out of life, I don't like stuff that just removes things without context. that would context. be hypnotherapy? From what I understand, right? That's I don't know much about hypnotherapy, but I know that's why Freud stopped doing it.
0: Okay, and Freud. I mean, who doesn't know who Freud is?
2: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but also a lot of his shit was debunked. So, like, yeah. I I like a lot of what he said, but obviously he was wrong about a lot of stuff. So take that for what you will. But me personally, it's like if I don't understand why something happened, I don't feel like I really got over it.
0: Um, that's interesting because I almost went to the Cleveland Clinic does hypnosis Mm -hmm. for PTSD and uh, I I didn't end up doing it and so now that's something to consider because I just came back across the papers Mm -hmm. Uh, totally emotional emotional intelligence in the way of like interpersonal right Mm -hmm. so there's like emotional intelligence in the public Mm -hmm. in groups and speaking but like interpersonal emotional intelligence is uh, such a foundation for creating the life you want because Mm -hmm. unless you can understand that again your emotions aren't definitive of you right Mm -hmm. um they're not a lot of times when we're in emotions and funny because a lot of times this only happens when we're in the low level emotions Mm -hmm. so feeling really depressed angry Mm -hmm. worthless whatever in that those moments it feels like I... if In those moments of depression, it could feel like I will be depressed for the infinite. hmm Right? Or for infinity. Or I will be angry. I'm just always angry. And it's like, no. Realize that these are passing. hmm And I think a lot of people identify with like, oh, well, I'm just an angry person.
2: hmm Oh, that's just the way I am.
0: Right. Right. So, if you're listening to this, and you've got this far... I want you to really take into consideration how you describe yourself. Like, how are you defining yourself in the world? Because that is what you will see. Right? Mm -hmm. you agree? I do. Um, They're called, if you don't know the term, they're called limiting beliefs. And a lot of times, so for me, and I'm sure by the time they hear this, they're going to hear me talk about this already, but um, language is... I'm so passionate about language because the way that I found my limiting beliefs, the way that I found the way that I was describing myself that was ineffective for the person that I wanted to be was first with my outward language. Actually, was first with hearing other people talk shit about their selves out loud. Mm. I'm like, oh, that's a limiting belief after I figured out what Mm. it was. And then after being really good at finding people talking limiting beliefs about themselves, I started hearing what I was talking about myself. Mm -hmm. And then I had this realization stacked upon some things that had happened where, okay, so I believe that I create my life. I create the reality that I see. And then I'm thinking of all the ways that I create, right? Mm -hmm. So when we think of um, a, a different reality, you and I are still in this room. There's still this microphone here. Like it's the same room but it's all different.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the those those tangible things, they are created. And so where I'm trying to get with this is that language, voice, words that we speak, like they are frequency, they are felt. You are choosing the frequency that surrounds your body. And by fundamental natural law, you will receive that back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so our words are so important. And so if we talk about ourselves and... In, in, any type of absolutes, mm-hmm. that's what we're going to see, mm-hmm. right? So it's just, man, that's just something that I could talk about all the time. What do you have to say about it?
2: Um, yeah, it's actually something I don't pay attention to probably as much as I should. Because I get really stuck in this idea. That it's like, it doesn't matter what I say. It matters how I feel about what I'm saying. Because I got into this trap. I'm not saying that you fall into this trap, but I've, I see a lot of people do it where they're like afraid to say things. And I never want to be afraid to say things
0: like, like they don't want to say like, go break a leg,
2: or something like that. Yeah. Where it's like, it's like, like I'll make fun of myself because it's so stupid. One of my, do you know who PewDiePie is? Uh-uh. He's actually he's been the number one subscribed YouTube person for the history of YouTube, and he's just some Swedish dork that reviews memes. That's like that's all he does. Okay, and I love him. He's actually one of my biggest inspirations. Like he's more inspiring to me than Tony Robbins, and. <laughs> And so he's, the, one of the things I love about him is that he's always the butt of his own jokes.
0: Oh, yeah, that's good.
2: And so that's what I try to do a lot. And so it's like, I'll, I'll call myself stupid or something like that. And I don't really mean it, but there's a lot of people, like, when I was first getting into spirituality, they'd be like, you can't say that because, like, because stuff. And I'm like, but sh- who cares? Like, yeah. I don't genuinely think that. Like, I love myself and I know I'm intelligent, but we should be able to joke about these types of things. Yeah. And so for me, I pay more attention to the emotions underneath the words than I do the words themselves. But I think to a certain degree, that is limiting in and of itself because the words do have tremendous amounts of power. And like, you ever studied Hermeticism at all?
0: I, 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 yes.
2: So, uh, that's the thing that really started to get me to pay attention to my words is learning. Specifically, you ever heard of, you know, the writer Alan Moore? Mm-mm. You ever heard of the movie, The Watchman?
0: Yes, I've not seen it.
2: So he's the one who wrote that. He's this famous comic book writer that wrote some of the most famous batman comics and he wrote the watchman and he wrote the most gruesome story arc the joker has ever taken part in just okay. disgusting and he's a hermetic person and so he he talks about i watched this little mini documentary about him and how all of his books are spells and rituals intended to alter the consciousness of the people that hear them
0: in the stories yes okay
2: And so yes, like so, you read The Watchmen or something like that, and it's supposed to change your mind. And he's used numerology and hermeticism and all these different things to specifically cast a spell on you to alter your consciousness. That's what. In what direction? I don't know.
0: Oh, okay. It's one of my favorite (laughs) stories, so
2: it's like hopefully good. Yeah. You know, Um, because it talks about the danger of thinking in black and white. It talks about like the danger of being disconnected from the human experience, and like I think he's I think he's a benevolent magician of sorts, even though he's fucking crazy looking. But that got me to really pay attention because, you know, one of the examples he gave is like, so check this out. Naked old ladies. Are you thinking about naked old ladies right now? I am. Yeah, I did that to you just now on purpose. Yeah. (laughs) I meant for that to happen in your head. Yeah. That's magic.
1: Yeah.
2: That's actual. From the hermetic perspective, that's what magic is. It's the ability to speak words and have them alter your consciousness in any way that I choose. And the ability to master that is something that... I take on very cautiously, because it's conscious manipulation, and so that's a hot fire to be playing with. But at the same time, like, being aware of the effect that words have on us is something I'm fairly new to, but it is deeply profound.
0: And really, like, anybody, anything, without the... if When we're not in use of our prefrontal cortex, which is, like, the conscious mind... Um, anything people say to us is, is manipulating our consciousness. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that, that awareness is there too. And I think when you said about the feelings underneath the words, if you're joking about you being stupid, like that's to be, it's again, this, this kind of dualistic approach because Mm -hmm. joking, like, you know, once you've, you've done emotional practice, right. Even without without doing the emotional practice, like we all have this this body of knowledge, and if you call yourself stupid, you know if you mean it, or you mm-hmm. know if you're joking. Like I was just an idiot, and I did this thing. Like you you know if people sometimes laugh because they're they're also hiding the truth.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, um, pain smile.
0: Yeah, I was listening yeah. to these girls in in Walmart. And uh there was two girls in front of me and the one must have just broke up with her boyfriend recently and he's he was dating somebody else. I heard the whole story. And so uh the Walmart line, I never shop there, but my friend had to take something back and uh I should say I, I rarely shop there. My friend had to take something back and the line just they take forever in there. Mm-hmm. And um so there, I'm hearing this girl talk about her ex boyfriend and she's like, Yeah, we never went to Mexican and He's with her for 3 weeks and they're going to Mexican every week and I just think it's hilarious. And she's like "And some I like we wouldn't even cook tacos and now he's going to Mexican. It's just so hilarious. And I want to be like you don't think that's hilarious. Yeah. Like you're really sad about that and that's okay. know I'm like
2: squirming <laughs> here yeah. about it it's like
0: <laughs> yeah, so many people say and I was one of them and maybe sometimes it still slips out like that's just so hilarious. Like you can tell when there's pain underneath there. Mm-hmm. Um, just like those memes that you were talking about before that sounded, you feel like shit about yourself afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the words. The words is the words is gold. And I... So the biggest ones for me are things like have to, mm. need to, yeah, should, shouldn't. Because the shoulds and the shouldn'ts, right? Um, I should have done that. I sh- less, like in past tense. Mm-hmm. I should have done that. I shouldn't have done that. Um, that to me represents your fighting with reality and that's just going to make you go a little nuts. Hmm. Okay.
2: Should it, we're in, you're fighting with reality in the sense that like there's a thing you don't want to do.
0: No. So we're talking packs, past tense. Okay.
2: So like I should have. Oh yeah.
0: Right. Acting as if
2: you should have done something differently. But, yeah. Yeah. As if you can do anything about it. Now. Right. Yeah. It's
0: just fighting with this reality and that just makes you go crazy and, and fight with your internal self. Right. And mm-hmm. now shoulds into the future, like. I should go to the grocery store, I should exercise, I should eat right, um, a lot of future stuff. Like, I need to take care of my body, I need to lose 10 pounds, I need to blah, blah, blah. Like, we, and this is going to come to, like, the what I believe the gift of life is. Like, mm. first of all, we get to do those things. Like, you get yeah. to go to the grocery store, you get to take care of your body, you get to go to work, Right and as far as like having so you like i have to i have to lose 10 pounds so you could replace that and say i get to lose 10 pounds or you could replace that and say i'm going to i'm going to sometimes that's a little too much for people right mm-hmm. um, that is
2: true yeah i've actually had that experience myself
0: right so we want to go a little more general and then work our way up and then another one i really like instead of have to is i want to mm-hmm. and so i always use the example of like okay I want to be healthy. I love my body. I want to be healthy because I love my body, right? So I have choices here of like salad or pizza. Well, in this moment, I want the pizza, right? I want it. I want it. I want it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times when we're on a changing our lifestyle, we're eating the thing that we maybe don't want to eat in that moment, the salad. So it's like, man, I don't want to eat the salad, but I have to eat the salad. So I'm going to eat the salad. I have to eat it. And then you're eating it, and you're saying, like, fuck, I have to eat the salad. I don't want to be eating with the salad. I want to be eating the pizza. But the fact of the matter is you're that you're, you are eating the salad. Mm-hmm. So you actually want. Why not say, I want to be eating the salad? It feels lighter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah, this, I like that. this goes deeper. Thank you. It goes deeper into, like, going to work. Like, oh, I have to go to work tomorrow. Like, well, why do you want to go to work? Do you want electricity? Like, you want to go to work. <laughs> Um, it's very power. It was very powerful for me and, uh, something that I shift pretty often.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. The words.
2: Yeah. I like what you said there because I like to finish sentences where it's like, I have to lose 10 pounds. It's like, why you have to 10, you have to lose 10 pounds for what reason? Mm-hmm. Generally, if someone's like, I have to lose 10 pounds, it's like, because I'm not good enough if I don't. Yeah. It's like, well, fuck that. You yeah. know? And that's why I always go to the underlying stuff is because I like to work out just because I like to feel strong. I like the way my body feels when it's, like, firm and I feel good. And, like, when I think about doing a hard thing, if I've worked out that day, then it, like, gives me extra stuff in my head. It's like, well, it's like, no, I can do this. I worked out today.
0: Oh, I, like you showed up for yourself. Yeah, it's like yeah. I did
2: what I needed to do. I ate well. I communicated well. I did everything I needed to do. It's like, yeah, I can take shit on for sure. Um, but some part of me is you know, convinced that like as a man you have to look a certain way in order to be attractive. And so sometimes I find myself feeling like I have to work out in order to do that. And I'm actually going to borrow what you just said, because what my practice up until this point has been like, if I, I just won't do it. If If you feel
0: like you have to do it. Yeah. I just won't.
2: I'll just do something else. Yeah. I'd be like, I, I simply refuse to let that govern my behavior. Yeah. And so I'll find the part of me that feels like I need to do the thing and then I'll love it. And then once I love it, then it's like, oh, actually, I don't need to do the thing. But then the thought enters my head. It's like, but I want to. Yeah. And so I, I like to work from the bottom up.
0: It's like, you can't have this over here. And you're like, but what is it?
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, well, let me love the part of myself that either wants the thing or doesn't want the thing. And then if I want to do it, I'll do it. But if not, not, then fine. So
0: what do you want to, what did you want to take? What do you mean? You said you wanted to take something I that said.
2: Oh, yeah. Of the reframing words.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Of like instead of like I have to do this like I want but see that's the thing, is sometimes when I try to reframe words, the emotion's still there. And so I'll be working with a different frame of context, but the underlying feeling is I have to do this so that I'm good enough. And
0: you don't think if you if you said to yourself or said out loud I get to do this, it's gonna bring you back to the beauty of being a human?
2: It in my experience is that it does sometimes, but not consistently and not sustainably
0: yeah you know nothing is 100 percent. i totally get that like there's there's it's as far as it being a cure-all you know there's there's deeper there's deeper levels there right so it's not um that the language shifts to me have been so powerful and it's like i'm a liar if i'm saying they work for me all the time Mm -hmm. you know so i
2: think it i think depth matters too mm -hmm. where it's like if a feeling is really deep then reframing the words isn't going to do anything about it. Right. But if it's a feeling you've already done some work around, then a quick reframe can just shift you immediately.
0: And for the long game, right? So a lot of times there's this, there's this. we want to be in the moment and we want to think about the future. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what the fuck? Like, how <laughs> am I going to do both? <laughs> yeah. And um, it's sort of the the long game. So a lot of times when I'm, And a lot of times it's when it comes down to health. It's going to come down to food and movement, breathing, drinking water, Mm -hmm. Um, even health, like any, any sort of ingestion, like TV, like whatever, whatever that is. I'm playing for the long game. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I use that image in my head of, of the me, who is the woman who does this and has this life, choosing from that is where I I, a lot of times feel powerful.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's absolutely huge. Yeah. In that context, words matter a lot to me because I have three archetypes that I trust to guide my life and I know them by their name. And if I call them by anything other than what they are, it doesn't work. Like I have the the mentor, the hero, and he hasn't solidified a name yet, but it's the person that has a mission, you know, and I experience them as three distinct archetypes in my mind. And if I refer to them by any other name, I don't feel them. I have to refer to them by name. And so the words that I use are extremely important.
0: So you, you refer to them by name when you ask the actions they would take?
2: Well, it's, so the way I do it is I so I meditate three times a day. And my intention to do that is to connect to. Th- to these three archetypes mm. so that if I start my day off connected with them, I'll make decisions from somebody who's embodying these three archetypes. And then I do one in the middle of the day to reconnect because my brain goes stupid at like two <laughs> and then at five and then like at, and then before bed, I do it again to remind myself of like, I'm the hero, I'm the mentor and I have a mission. Right. And so when I connect to those things and I consciously call them up and I stay connected to them throughout the day, they govern all of my decisions. And I make decisions, and I treat people, and I communicate, and I, and I eat, and I walk, and I fuck, and I do whatever from the perspective of someone who's embodying these things.
0: Yes, that the that word embodiment is like it's it's gaining traction. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is like the word is em embodiment, like it's tactile, mm-hmm. right? It's action. It's it's it's. Uh, I have this breakthrough. So there's a phrase called like um, aligned action. Mm-hmm. And I had a breakthrough that the aligned action can happen without the aligned thoughts.
1: Hmm, yeah, for like sure. Thoughts
0: aren't in there, it's aligned action. Mm-hmm. And um, that really helped me recently. Embodiment, I, saw, I think both of us have a lot of people that we follow that really talk about embodiment. I know yeah. Nathaniel does. Um,
2: so oh, if you're not doing that, are you really real? Yeah. Or are you all theory? Right. And it's like, I can't trust somebody who's all theory.
0: That's where I think, and maybe we talked about this earlier, but that's where I think the conversation really gets to shift now, because a lot of people are they're airy, um, mm-hmm. and I mean that in the most loving way possible, but they're like they're very um, well, I can't change what I'm thinking, or I can't. They're very thought, they're very mind, they're very um, what's another word, non-physical,
2: like ethereal,
0: ethereal, yeah. Whereas like the grounded, like we are here on earth we are humans, we have a foot in humanity and a foot in in whatever your spirituality is, Mm -hmm. right? And so for a while, the foot in the spirituality was sort of where the focus was. And I think now, like, that's pretty explained, it's pretty scientific, like, now it's like, okay, taking that into my human experience. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And thank God for it, because that's... That's one of the main reasons I, I felt like I would never find a place, you know, is because everybody had these, like, airy-fairy things, and it was like, it's cool. Like, it's sound theory, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can rally behind that, but not as a long-term way of life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it's like occasional practices, you know, understanding new theories and integrating them and all that, great. But if the integration doesn't happen, it's, it's worse than useless. It's damaging. Yeah. I'd rather it be useless.
0: The, once somebody has a breakthrough, has a realization, realizes that we are supported, mm-hmm. right? That we are loved, that we are held by whatever the non-physical, you know, subtle energy is. All that, all you have to do is have one experience of that mm-hmm. and know what it is. And then taking the action can be and gets to be easy because you know you're going to be supported and you can't make a mistake because nature doesn't make a mistake. Um,
2: hmm. Yeah, that's cool. You've not heard that. It's like I have, but I've I usually rejected it. Oh, nice. You know? Yeah. But now I'm just like, oh, that's kinda true. Except for like no, that's still not even mistakes. So I was thinking evolution happens on accident, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like people used to think evolution was this intentional thing, but then they found out that evolution was just like mutations and accidental mistakes and then whichever mistakes worked is like the ones that we kept. But he can't even call that an accident.
0: Right. Right. There's only uh, there's there seems to be constant expansion right and if you if you're telling me if you're using the words fractal mm-hmm. then fractals are are I'm thinking of like the the golden meme um, the what's what the hell is the other name for it it's not actually the golden meme it's like the Fibonacci Fibonacci sequence right like that shit is um it doesn't it, it it's 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 great. It's divine. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's this thing that's just, like, infinite. And really, I have these these thoughts about it. And if the infinite is possible, then it's possible that nothing's infinite.
1: Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm.
0: Just like if the infinite is possible, then maybe everything is love and support, and maybe everything is, like, doomed to hell. But if I can choose to believe what I want to believe... And, if, and if, if that is possible, do you get what I'm saying?
2: So it's like, everything's possible, so therefore it has to be possible for everything to not be possible. Yeah. Because they would happen simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Because in this universe, where XYZ is possible, XYZ that needs to be impossible is also impossible. But if you go to the next universe, it's completely inverse. And so, yeah, it seems like expansion and... Which is, you know, how the universe works. Like, we're constantly expanding, but we're also constantly dying.
0: Do you ever watch... Uh, it's an eight-hour lecture called Crossing the Event Horizon. <laughs> it's by this guy, Nassim Harriman, who I never remember what, like, he is, what he does, but um, he takes you through his research, and it's it's based around... It, it, the conclusion is around, like, consciousness, and um, uh, he based a lot of things back... Like, I'm obsessed with ancient culture, and he based a lot of things back in ancient culture, but he, in the very beginning of the lecture... He shows you how you cannot have the infinite without the finite.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: So it's really interesting because, like, you have you have to have you have to have both. You have to have a boundary before you can get before you can break that down to yeah. the infinite.
2: And there's no such thing as finite if it wasn't drawn from the infinite in the first place. Otherwise, where'd it come from? <laughs> right.
0: Um. Anyways, that was that was off topic.
2: Well actually no, you brought something up because have you ever heard of a Western philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard?
0: Yes, but I don't think I know the work.
2: So I have a very cursory understanding of it, but I listened to a video about his theories on despair. And I don't I just randomly decided to listen to this. I I have almost no experience with despair, or at least I didn't I wasn't aware of it at the time. Did
0: was, you do an Instagram story on this? I we, did. Okay. It's no tell me again though.
2: And so his idea is that despair is the result of the inability to take the infinite and make it finite. Or the inability to balance the infinite with the finite. On a personal level. Where it's like if you have all... If you're too locked up in the finite, then you'll get stuck in mundane tasks. And you'll just do shit that's completely soulless.
0: The, the never-ending checklist. Exactly. Right.
2: That's, that's getting stuck in the finite. And if you get stuck in the infinite, then... You're aware of who you can become. You're aware of the, the, the potentiality of a true self. But because it's, it lives in the expansive, infinite reality, it never becomes anything. It never crystallizes.
0: Because there's no decision?
2: Uh, because Yeah, because you never commit to anything. Right. You never make it finite. And so if you're stuck in the mundane, then you will despair that your life will never mean anything. And that nothing ever matters and you're just essentially dead on the inside. But if you're stuck in the infinite, then you despair that you'll never become anything worth being. That you'll just let life pass you by even though you know how great it could be. And so I... I've been there. <laughs> yeah. And I found that to be absolutely true. And yeah. so I, I learned this not that long ago. And so since then, I've been really paying attention to whether or not I am balancing the finite or the infinite. It's like, am I too aware of the options? Am I too afraid to just pick one and go with it? And um.
0: Analysis paralysis,
2: right? Mm-hmm. And the thing that really made his version of that powerful is because I've heard that before, but it's like, how do you pick? It's like if you're the type of person who's overwhelmed, it's like you can't just tell them to pick one at random. That's not really in how that works. state, totally. Yeah. So what he said is that it's the barrier to personhood, where you're not really a person unless you've taken the infinite and and brought it into the finite, or unless you've at least considered the infinite as you're making the finite. You're not really a person at that point. You're either a robot or a set of possibilities. You haven't crystallized into a, a self yet.
0: Interesting. So that reminds me of like again, the subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. And if we don't if we don't see that it's like every what it comes down to every time, every conversation, every everything, it comes down to that that unknown that faith that whatever you want to call it like it always comes down to that because without understanding that i can be more i would just be subconscious behavior exactly right and but to understand that there's more i have to understand that there's more Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) but then it's like what do you pick and so my solution to that is having a strong value system it's like here's the infinite here's all the things i could be the only things i'm interested in creating the only things out of the infinite I want to take and make finite and put into my personality are the things that line up with my values, my values and my vision.
0: And you know, it's interesting is your values come from your history.
2: Mm. Yeah, I yeah, I can see that. Oh, for sure. 100%
0: Because we're each they're, they're slight all of us are slightly different, mm-hmm. right? And I know what I don't I know what I want by knowing what I don't want.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And anyways, that just dropped in. Go
2: ahead. No, I mean that makes sense because there is also studies that say you can you can accurately pick a person's uh, political affiliation with like nine over 90 percent accuracy just based on their personality
0: i agree yeah
2: Yeah. so Uh it's like the same thing where it's like yeah your personality will your experiences in your past will define your values and so when i think about like the infinite possibilities and which ones do i want to bring in and crystallize it's the ones that align with my values and my vision Mm -hmm. and everything else gets thrown away
0: what are what what are your core values
2: uh authenticity is my number one uh Purpose is right underneath of it, because if I'm not telling the truth about who I am, then I'm not a person. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not doing that in the service of a mission or purpose, then I still don't consider myself a person. I consider myself just kind of wasting away.
0: Just trying to get, get, get.
2: Yeah, it's like an automaton at that point.
0: Like you're, you're, it reminds me like, um, if you're doing it without the context of purpose, you're just sort of doing it to be accepted.
2: Yeah. Or just you're just mindlessly existing, Yeah. and I have that's to me that's not being a person. Mm-hmm. To be a person is to say this is who I am, this is what I stand for, this is what I want to accomplish, and this is what I'm doing to make it happen. That's a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's authenticity, there's purpose, uh, adventure is a really big one for me. I love adventure. I'll dry up without it. Um, those are really my, like my vision. My values are really three. It's yeah. like if I'm if I'm telling the truth. If I'm living with purpose and I'm having fun and going on adventures and then, you know, something about like, I, I haven't really found a way to put it into words, but it's just being good to people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like it's, it's not kindness. It's more than that. It's more than kindness. It's, I, I, I
0: was going to say that and I was like, no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> yeah,
2: It's not kindness. It's, it's something deeper. It's, it's a spirit of generosity, but with everything generosity of my love, of my time, of my words, of, of my money, of my things, of, of everything. It's like, am I withholding and hoarding, or am I giving? And am I consciously balancing the two? You know, am I am I aware of that balance? Right. Those are things I want to be aware of. So it's authenticity, purpose, adventure, and this benevolent nature. Right,
0: right. Um, that's, I find a lot of people, it's funny, because maybe not a lot, but the ones that I know entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. they have these very specific values and don't want to stand for something that doesn't show those values and a lot of times that's going to be traditional work Mm -hmm. um so it's really interesting for me to talk to them because when the more somebody stands embodied in their values the more their permission for other people to do the same and the more Mm -hmm. somebody's permission the more people want to be around it's just like To me, there's no reason somebody can't live the greatest life and whatever that looks like for you, like, making a bunch of money. Like, if you... That is the way to be abundant, right? And really, the money conversation, like... The money conversation is so... um, It can be touchy with some people. Some people don't like to talk about it. And...
2: I love money. I think money's awesome.
0: Yeah, like, I don't... There's... To me, it doesn't make sense if you feel majorly. So there's emotional ratios, like mm-hmm. not 100% all throughout the day. is Somebody gonna feel absolutely abundant, right? There's gonna be these moments, but if the ratio is high, that to me, like money is our human way of showing abundance. Like, how is that not gonna?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How is that not gonna come back? It's just something that I see um, and something that I notice within myself, right? And so. When I feel that I can, so I was really sick. I didn't work for like, for a long time. I didn't work. And now getting to the point, having to lean on my boyfriend, having to lean on my family, having to lean on all these people for money. Like I'm really driven right now to just figure out what I look like supporting myself because that's what is going to make me abundant. And I could do that bartending again. Sure. Like I could, but I don't want to, you know, so that's my responsibility to step into that. And so I, um, I think that, I think that we get to feel abundant, right? Mm-hmm. That's a that's a value for me is abundance in, in all manners, right? The air is free. Like there's all of these things that mm-hmm. are just here, and we're surrounded by money. I mean, look at that
2: was made mm-hmm. of money. That
0: was made of money. That yeah. was made of money. People made that. They got paid to make that. You know.
2: And there's ethics to it. You could just do so much more good stuff if you have money. Yeah. Like no one in my life will ever have to worry about. Like, oh, my God, I'm not going to make rent. It's like, no, you're fine. I got you. Here you go.
0: Well, so we did an exercise this past weekend about money, and we wrote down all the things, like our our ideal month with money, and we wrote down everything, and then we wrote down the cost of it, and then we added it up. And a lot of the girls, their ideal month, was, they were like, um, $90,000, $80,000, $50,000, and I'm looking at mine, it's like $17,000, and it's like, oh, I almost felt bad to say, like, this is what, I wrote down everything, and I'm sure there was a few things missing, sure. it's like, oh, I wrote down everything I could think I would ever want to take care of myself, and take care of my family, and save for my future, and all of this, and it's like, so much less, and then I had the thought, and Nathaniel said something, like, okay, so, if I'm making fifty grand a month... And I only need twenty of it. There's so much possibility for that. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. so much that can go around, and so much creativity, and like, it's so exciting to me.
2: Five hundred bucks builds a school in Africa. Really. Five hundred dollars.
0: I want to go to um, ta- Tanzania mm-hmm. with Epic. Do you know that?
2: Uh, I know Tanzania, but I don't know Epic.
0: You know Alexi Panos, Press and Smiles. Oh, yeah. um, Alexi Panos is a co-founder of this nonprofit called Epic, and cool. they take and build water wells in schools in, it, in Tanzania. And I applied three years ago. Oh no, no, yeah, two years ago I applied to go, fucking delusional because like I just started walking again. I'm <laughs> like yeah, I'm going to go build some water wells in Africa. And um, Jesus
2: Christ, yeah. Then
0: I I, I didn't go. La- I didn't go that year. That was two years ago. And then I didn't go last year because I was just adding. I couldn't eat a lot of food yet. And so this year, I'm going to apply again and go... It's normally in the fall. Well, you have to get accepted, but I'm pretty sure because of this history I have with these people that I'll be in. And I'm really, really excited about it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's how I see it. It's like, if you have money, plus it's like...
0: Oh, well, the thing is, you got to raise five grand, right? And I say that to people. And i was like, yeah, I just have to raise five grand. And they're like, oh, just five grand? I was like, yeah, just five grand. It's not that hard. No. Like, it's... What were you going to say?
2: Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, it's just the ethics of money. I, I love... Because I'm a very ethics-based person. It's... I forget what personality test explains this. One of the millions that I've taken. But it's this idea that, like... I can't do something unless I believe my intentions are pure. Like, I I just, it doesn't agree with me unless I think my intentions are really pure. Yeah. And so when it comes to money, it's like, you know, there's two kinds of people. There's the people that have money and there's the people that need money. Yeah. And I don't do a whole lot of people a whole lot of good by being one of the people who needs money.
0: That's what Nathaniel said. He's like, you can't help people by
2: being one. Yeah, that's it just doesn't work because I think about all the people that have really helped me and it's like, you know, a friend of mine gave me like a few hundred bucks to pay rent one day when I w- when I had like gotten sick and lost my car and I was driving for Uber. He hands me $500 and he goes, there you go. It's like, I want to be that friend. Yeah. Or the, or the guy that like buys you lunch when you're down on your luck or be able to give hundreds like an actual hundred dollar bill to a homeless person instead of giving them a dollar and being like oh my god yeah. i gave them a dollar am i gonna be okay yeah. It's that's fucking stupid i want to be able to like spoil people like go above and beyond show people a, a reality that they didn't know that they had before and it's like that also means that i can make more impactful content because i can hire an editor yes. and i can have better production quality and so it's like there's all these things that go into it because it's like if I have the people that want to pay me X amount of money that I really want to have, then it's like I can take that money and give back to the people that can't afford my stuff. Because mm-hmm. my free content is for is for people that can't afford my courses. Yeah. That's that's how I do it. It's like if I make really good free content, then I don't have to feel bad about charging these people like, yeah. what occurs to me is a lot of money. So it's like then the money that I'm making goes into making better content and I'm making better free um, transformations. And I think it's like... 80 to 90% of the impact that you make is through your your free stuff anyway.
0: Absolutely.
2: And so it's like, yeah, let me do whatever I can do to turn out the best shit I possibly can because, like, this is a movement. This is a machine.
0: And you're not even seeing... Maybe YouTube is a little more precise, but, like, I do a lot of live videos, and I... Right now, I get an average of, like, 150 views per video. And I there are people that consistently come up to me. They're like, yeah, I watch all your videos and mm-hmm. I love them all that never like them. They never comment. They never do. And it's like, you're touching so many more people than you yeah. think you're touching. You're like, "Shoot, only 20 people watch. It's like, no dude, you have no idea how many people are going to see that. How many people heard it. Mm-hmm. Right. And the free content is interesting because if you're an entrepreneur, um, you'll understand this, this conversation, but there's free. We want to give free content. So, um, Chris and I are both in the in the um business of you know raising other people to where they want to go. Yeah. Easy said. So the free content that we give out because one we want to be paid for it, right? Because we know that it's valuable. We have like life experience and we know that the world is abundant, right? So we do want to get paid for it and we do want to help like it's not just doing it for the money so we create this free content to make these micro transformations for people who may not have the money to do it and one really big lesson for abundance for me starting out was that I didn't want to put out content that Set all my secrets mm-hmm. right, yeah. And then it's like, oh no, how can I? Tr- how can I say everything that I know and trust that more will show up for me? Mm-hmm. And then every time I did it, it's like, oh, I'm not out of ideas. Oh, I'm not out of mm-hmm. ideas. And then every time I got caught in that again, I'd be like, oh my god, a writer's block. I don't know what to mm-hmm. talk about. Yeah. And it's like, no, I can. I heard somebody talking once, and they're like, listen, I can give you everything you need to do in the next six months to make five hundred thousand dollars, but you're still gonna. A lot of times, like, you're still gonna need you're still going to want to work with me. Because some people like that support. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? People like the feedback. Oh, for sure. People like the little reminders, you know? Like, you can find anything that you need on Google. Like,
2: mm-hmm. you want to do
0: anything, it's on there. Are you going to do it? Maybe. Mm-hmm. But probably not. Yeah. Because there's nobody in your corner.
2: And that's what I tell my clients. Like, I don't do, like, I don't have a whole lot of strategy when it comes to my, like, first calls that I have with people. Like, the free intro, whatever you want to call it. I haven't figured out a snappy Connection name. Call. Sure. Yeah. yeah whatever. Yeah. Just, like... I, I actually create a plan for people. I'm like, where do you want to go? What like, What's your ideal life look like? Like, Let's make that real so it's inspiring. And then tell me about every reason you don't have it. Mm-hmm. And then we'll actually come up with the plan. And then That's you can, what I do. And yeah. And yeah, then yeah. you can either decide to work that plan with me or on your own. But if you do it with me, you'll go way faster.
0: And either way, you're getting this fucking huge thing with that you yeah. wouldn't have had.
2: Yeah. It's like I get... They, they get clarity on what's stopping them. And they have a plan to figure it out. And I'll even sometimes help them have resources if they can't afford my stuff. I'll help Mm -hmm. them figure out where to go. And so it's like, I've made a new friend. I've made a new ally. I've made a new brand ambassador for my company. I've created good karma. And I possibly made money. So it's like, I get way more out of that than they do. And so I try to remember that. The the more I give, the more people will talk about my work. And the, the better they'll talk about my work. And like I'd rather be the guy who'd be like, yo, hire this guy because I listened to his, you know, free content on YouTube for six months and I changed my life. So imagine what like an hour conversation with him one-on-one would be like, yeah. like that's the guy I want to be.
0: Cause really if, if you're, and I know this from experience too, like if I'm coming from a point of like, Oh my God, I want to make money. The conversation isn't going to go there. Mm-mm. like it's just not I get to be in of service mm-hmm. right and being of service people it's tangible you know people know when you're full of shit mm-hmm. I did door to door sales for two years like I manipulated some people and I got taught to do that mm-hmm. and I had a very yuck factor about sales
1: yeah me too for
0: quite a while and um now it's like no no it's not it's for them mm-hmm. right and then you just get this this beautiful thing and obviously there's 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 work there like obviously like we get to show up for what we say we want to do it's not just like oh (laughs) you know but um there's that also that harmonious balance of service and like okay well i do want to make money so let me show up for the things i say that i want and the Mm -hmm. person i want to be yeah so and that's just moving through our emotions like we talked about earlier
2: yeah and it's like a lot of the time the best thing for them will be to take my course because it's like, I'm there to help them figure out what the best thing for them is. And if the best thing for them is to be as far away from me as humanly possible, then I want to know. Yeah. And if the best, if the thing that's best for them is to be in my course, I want to know that as well. Yeah. And I want to be courageous and authentic enough to admit whatever it is. Right. Quickly. Right. To know it's like, okay, you're actually not good for me, but you might be good for this guy. So, yeah. so go over there and don't ever Because it's going to
0: be crappy for them. It's going to be crappy for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, if you have to talk somebody three hours and drag them, and you're going to have to drag them into everything else, mm-hmm. you know? Um, some people just aren't there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I wasn't for a while, and I was still watching free videos, getting the fuck load of value from yeah, me it, too. you know? Um, okay, so it feels like it's a good time to wrap up. Cool. Why don't you just... Uh, you said course? Yeah. So what are you doing right now? So this probably isn't going to... Um, it's probably going to be a month or so. Okay, that's so. Fine. Whatever you want them to hear. Um yeah. yeah, whatever.
2: Yeah. So it's like honestly, so my here's my approach. Maybe this maybe this will land with some of the readers and maybe it won't. My my essential idea is to make a lot of jokes and <laughs> and have a lot of fun and then allow that to draw the people to me that that are at least curious enough about this stuff to joke about it. Mm-hmm. And then with each of my memes, I I don't know if anybody ever reads the captions, but, like, I write really deep shit underneath all of them.
0: I've read a few. Not all of them.
2: Cool. Uh, my, my assumption is that it's probably 50-50. Yeah. And so I'm unintentionally sneaky about getting people to really feel the depths of their shit. I start with... It's like the more... Different content has different levels of depth. Like, the memes are obviously on the super shallow end. But then if you get into one of my classes or you get into my YouTube stuff, then it's like you're you're going to have a spiritual root canal and you're going to have it in 15 minutes mm-hmm. and I'm going to make damn sure of it. So like if if you're the type of person that like wants to learn and wants to grow and wants to have a good time doing it and actually enjoy the process, then just like hit me up on Instagram. Uh, my name is Operation Moksha, but it's Operation underscore M-O-K-S-H-A um, or what YouTube. That, by the way? So that is a combination of my two biggest influences, which is punk rock and Eastern spirituality. Uh, One of my favorite bands is Operation Ivy. Oh. Uh, They did a song called Unity. That is one of the... They're a band from the 80s. They did a song called Unity that is... The message behind that song is a really core element of my underlying value. And the song is about um, infighting in the punk rock scene. And how it's like you wake up every day and there's like a war happening on the streets. And it's like, we don't want to pick sides anymore. We just want to love everyone. We want unity of all people. So that's operation is, is that, but it's also a mission, you know, it's like, it's a mission. And then moksha is a Sanskrit word for liberation. And it's specifically like the that. type of liberation from the false personality and unnecessary suffering from just seeing yourself in the world incorrectly. So my my punk rock ethos and my spiritual mythos come together to create operation moksha And that's, that's my thing. I love it.
0: Thank you. Um, yeah, he's great. And it's, it's nice being that a lot of the memes are quick, mm-hmm. right? If you like to read, it's, it's going to be nice to read the longer mm-hmm. version of the content, but a lot of the memes are quick and you're like, Oh, that is funny. Oh, I do do that. Oh, I'm not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, thank you guys for listening. It's been probably like an hour and 15 minutes, so this is great. Thank you very
2: much. You're super welcome. This is really enjoyable. Um, let talk to you
0: guys soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Goldmine Podcast. I ask that you share this out with anyone who might get value from this episode. And if you're looking for ways to support, please subscribe and review. And if you are not on the social media game yet, get on it. I'm the only Shauna Sudik on Facebook and on Instagram. My handle is shauna.kathleen. And I can't wait until next time.